The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's me, Matt Slick. You're listening to Matt Slick Live. Hey, today is May 26, 2023. And if you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. spells C-A-R-M. On your phone, CARM.org, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. Hey, if you have not been to the site, please check it out. A lot of people listen to the radio don't even know that there's a website uh, associated. The reason we're able to do radio is because of the website. The website is where we uh, get support. Uh, the site has had 156 million visitors, and uh, we're doing about 30,000 uh, new visitors a day. And, uh, you know, that's about what it is. So there's a lot of articles. I have about 5,000 articles and working frantically. Well, semi-frantically to get some stuff going, uh, some new stuff, new work we're doing with video stuff, and uh, spent some time today on that. So anyway, there you go. And now look, we have five open lines. Why don't you give me a call, 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. All right. Now, um, let's see. If you want, you can email me at info at karm.org. Info at karm.org. Easy to do. By the way, we're supposed to be going to Japan in November, right around November 8th, uh, for a Christianity tour. A lot of people don't know that Christianity was very prevalent in Japan up to, I forget exactly when, a couple hundred years ago or something like that, where a lot of the Japanese uh, was, saw the rise of of, the, of Christianity and they, they murdered uh, hundreds of thousands of Christians. And so it's really bad and there are a lot of christian sites that are there people just don't know they're not aware of it so we're going to be going to uh, japan in november and having a i think about an eight-day tour we have a gentleman who lives there he's american and he speaks perfect uh, english of course and great japanese and he knows all kinds of stuff he runs a travel agency so he'll be uh, working it and uh, the information if you are interested all you got to do is go to karm.org c-a-r-m dot o-r-g and just do a search in there for japan christianity tour and you'll find the link and the information there's pictures of places we're going to go and uh i'll be speaking at some churches and doing some studies and of course if you go uh then maybe we can do little studies here and there in promptu uh and i can teach you guys things and maybe you can teach me you know that all works all right, so there you go, um, 877-207-2276. A lot of times on Fridays, the uh, the calls are slow, and that does happen. So what I'll often do is simply read uh, radio questions. People bring in all kinds of stuff. They, they email me, and if you want to email me, info at karm.org. You have a comment or a question. So uh, from a guy on Discord, is it okay for women to teach women? Yes, it is. Now, they do it in, in uh, jobs, they do it in, uh, in schools, they do it in the military. Of course, it's okay for women to teach women. If you mean in the church, uh, yeah, but women are not to be in positions of authority, spiritual authority over men in the church. That's just how that goes. And once again, 
if anybody wants to do a formal debate, say you're a pastor, you're an elder at your church, and you believe women pastors are biblical, women pastors and elders are biblical, well, let's do a debate. And the debate could be titled, Does the Bible uh, Support Women Pastors and Elders? Real simple. Now, I've been offering this debate uh, for, I don't know, we've been doing radio now 18 years. So I've been doing radio 18 years, and I've not taken, or I have not had anybody take me up on it. Now, I know that pastors and elders hear me, and I know that there are some who affirm women pastors and elders. And uh, I'll just tell you, if you do that, you are violating Scripture. You're against Scripture. And if you don't like what I'm saying, feel free to turn the channel. I don't care. You do what you want. Uh, you, you'll have to answer to God. But I'm just telling you what the Scriptures say. And Paul does not allow it, and he's giving instructions to the Christian church. And you can do whatever you want and uh, twist the Scriptures all up and down, because that's what it is. Women are not to be pastors and elders in the church. And if you want to have a debate, polite debate, uh, hey, I'll fly out to where you are, and uh, let's do it. I've been offering this now for 18 years. Nobody's ever taken me up on it. Why is that? Maybe because they know I'll be using the Bible, and I know what I'm talking about, and the Bible doesn't support their position. All right, let's try another email. Let's see. For the Christian, how does the will work when he has Christ within? Okay, that's one sentence. has a comma here. Uh, does his new nature have an effect on the will? Yes, it does. Does he have more and greater possibilities than when his nature is that of the old man? Yes. All right. So uh, how does the will work with he had, when he has Christ in him? That's a tough question to answer. How does it work? You mean, is there a relationship between human freedom and in the dwelling of Christ? And he wants to go on. He asks... Uh, how is it affecting will? Well, let me just tell you that the will is a product of our nature. We have a will because we are sentient. We are alive. We are uh, humans. And so we have wills. That's part of what it means to be human. And so, hold on a sec. There we go. I'll clear my throat. And so the will is subject to the nature. If you cannot know everything you uh, can't have a will that operates with the knowledge of everything. See, we're limited by our natures. The unbeliever is a slave of sin, a hater of God, doesn't see for God, doesn't is full of, of evil. And so his free will is, is free. He can do whatever he wants. What he wants to do is serve himself and, and not serve God. That's his nature. He's fallen. So he's perfectly free to act in a manner consistent with his nature. Not a problem. And uh, I mean, it is a problem for him. He's going to go to hell unless he finds Christ. Does he have more or greater possibilities uh, when his nature is out of the old man? So when someone's born again, as I was teaching in the Bible study last night, people who are born again have the ability to sin and not sin. We have the ability to do what's right before God and not right before God. The unbeliever only has the ability to do what's not right before God. Now, if you disagree with me, call me up and we can talk. But the questions I ask when dealing with this kind of a topic, when people say, well, you know, people, even atheists can do good things. Well, yes and no. Yes, on one hand, on the human level, uh, an atheist returns a wallet that, that was dropped, 
okay, and he doesn't take any money out of it. He, he returns it to the person, drives out of his way to go to the address and give it to him. Hey, that's a good thing to do, right? Well, yeah, it is on the human level, but not on the divine level. The reason is because goodness must be measured by God's character, not by our character. Our character is touched by sin, and God's character is not. And ultimately, everything that is to be done by the Christian is should be done uh, because of the work of Christ that he bought us, uh, he died for us, and that we want to bring glory to him. And so if your motive ultimately is to live a Christian life and to serve God and do whatever you can for him, then those things that you do that are good on a human level are also good on the divine level. Because the motive is uh, to please God. Now, I'm not saying our motives are perfect. That's another topic. But God filters everything through the blood of Christ. So if our motive is to serve God and honor God, and the standard of, of what is right is God himself, and the revelation of God in the scriptures, and we're informed by that, and we try and comply with all of it, then functionally it's a good thing that we do. But the atheist can't do that. The atheist, for example, cannot do things for the glory of God. He can't do them based on the character of God because he's redeemed. So on the human level, he can do good. But on the divine level, it's not good because it's done not for the ultimate glory of God, but for something else, which amounts to idolatry. This is uh, why it's so important to understand biblical theology and the character and the nature of God. And as I say frequently, humanism is creeping into the Christian church. Humanism is man-centeredness. So we'd like to measure things and what God will do based on our feelings. So, you know, uh, you can, how that saying go? Uh, you do your best, God will take care of the rest. Uh, that's just a, not taught in the Bible at all. The Bible is our standard of truth. It's the ultimate authority for the Christian. We need to read it, study it, and submit to it. And what God tells us in the Bible about him and his character is he's completely different than what we are. We are obligated to follow him and to do what he wants. And uh, as Christians, we're to do that. But within the Christian church, humanism is rearing its ugly, ugly head. And it does it in such subtle ways. For example, following the idea that Jesus is the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Caucasian surfer dude dressed in a woman's nightgown standing at the door of your heart asking permission for you to let him in. That's humanist philosophy. That means God, the creator, is bound by you, by what you have to do. And I hear these statements, God will never violate your free will. Really? Who says so? Where's that? In the book of Deuterectomy? Come on, give me a break. You know, um, Second obstetrics? I don't know. There's all these kind of fun words we say sometimes. Uh, you know, second colonoscopies. You know, so the thing is, it's, if it doesn't say in the Bible, don't believe it. And don't be sitting there in church and giving these nice little fortune cookie theories and, and then making theology based on them. It doesn't work like that. So that's one of the ways that humanism is creeping into the church, that your salvation is dependent upon you. And here's another one. Oh, this is bad. You know, the Bible says in Colossians 2.14, says Jesus, having canceled out the certificate of debt, the certificate of debt, the kerographon in the Greek, having nailed it to the cross. When's the certificate of debt, the sin debt canceled? At the cross. It's not canceled when you believe. Oh, I tell people this. Their eyebrows shoot up. What do you mean it's not canceled when I believe? It's not. I should say it's not canceled because you believe. See, the thing is, the work of Christ is effective because of what Christ did, not because of what you do. This is more humanism in the Christian church. 
It's humanistic philosophy. I apply the blood of Christ to myself when I believe. See how good I am. See how wise I am. See the choices that I make that make the work of God real in my life. Excuse me while I pat myself on the back. Take a picture of myself and selfie. You see, this is the kind of humanistic philosophy that's just rampant in the Christian church. Look, if that were true, then why does it say in John six sixty five that to you it has been granted to believe? Uh, or it's going to ask Philippians one twenty nine. Jesus says to you it has been granted to come to Christ. Why does he say that if it's just up to you and your wisdom? Humanism in the church, humanist philosophy, humanism is man-centeredness. I'm the standard of truth. God knows the condition of my heart. That's why God will work with me. Because look how good I am. Me, me, me. It's a bad theology that is rampant in the Christian church. You know another thing that, that, that's, not, that's not in the Bible? Ask Jesus into your heart. Can you show me any place in the Bible where it says that? Now the Bible says, believe with your heart. And the Bible does say, to receive Christ, but nothing says receive him into your heart. Now, functionally, eh, it's good enough. It is. I get what they're saying. They're asking. They're saying they have Christ come into their lives, the deepest, most part of what they are. And if that's what they mean by it, okay, that's fine. That's not a big deal. But the thing is that we have to be careful of what it is that we are attributing to God. We've got to be careful. Now, it doesn't have to be an exact phrase out of Scripture. But if we're going to have a concept taught, then shouldn't it be biblically based? This idea of humanist philosophy, particularly woven into the, the word whosoever, which they mistakenly mean that we have the free will ability in our sinfulness, even though we're enslaved to sin, we're able to believe because of the one word. I wish people would just start studying the Bible and leave their humanism behind. Okay, folks, you have five open lines. I want you to give me a call after the break. 877 072276. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone. Hey, if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Now, just let you know that we have... We have a chat going on in Rumble. We have chat going on in Clubhouse. We have chat going on in Discord. And so in uh, Clubhouse, someone said that I didn't know what uh, humanism was. Yes, I do. I've studied it. I haven't released a section on CARM on it. But we do have some callers coming in, so I'll, t I'll tackle that. Oh, maybe this uh, Jackson guy. Ooh, well, we'll see if, if, if it's him. I'm hoping he's going to call up. Anyway, hey. Let's get on the air and see what's going to happen. Jackson from Oregon. Welcome. You're on the air. Hey, how's it going, Matt? It's going. Thanks for taking it's my going. call. Sure. Good. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering about the whole predestination thing. Sure. Can you get a little closer yeah. to your mic? Because you, you, you're like, there's like a yeah. bad echo in the room or something. you got a speakerphone or something. Yeah, give me one second. Yeah. yeah, give me one second, actually. Sure. Okay. Okay, we're holding on. Yeah, I made a good cup of coffee. All right. Mm -hmm. Can you hear me better? Oh, that's much better. That's much better. Okay. Thank All you. Right. All right. So, so with the whole predestination, mm -hmm. um, does this entail that, like, uh, this God has made some souls in which it knew it would never have a connection with? 
in which it or he? Well, I mean, we can call God he, but I myself ah. prefer to call it. Okay. To genderify it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man. So you're, you're not a Christian then. What are you? Are you an atheist or what? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, more agnostic atheist. But, okay. Yeah, well, the Christian worldview, God reveals himself in the masculine. We call him he, and yes, he predestines uh, everything that comes to pass, ultimately, and um, in different senses. But yeah, he's the one in control. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So that would, that would kind of entail that uh, he has made some of his creation in which he knew he would never be able to connect with. Not be able to. We don't say that in Christianity. That God's not able to connect to him. He can do whatever he wants. In Christian theology, God has made everything, even the wicked for the day of evil, Proverbs 16.4. And he even has made vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And that's Romans 9, 22 and 23. Yep. Even so Christians don't like yeah, it, but that's what it says. What would be the purpose glory. of making vessels for simply glory? glory? Did, mm-hmm. Does that mean glo- God didn't have glory prior to making no making, it, uh, no it doesn't mean he didn't have glory beforehand because J- Jesus says in John 17 uh, 1 through 5 he talks about the glory he had with God before the foundation of the world so you know okay so what does glory serve as a purpose to God it's not a purpose to God it's a natural way? it's not a purpose it's a natural outcome of him being the ultimate standard and the ultimate cause of all things do you have an ultimate in your worldview that above which there's nothing and next to which there's nothing equal? Do you have anything like that? Do I have an ultimate in my worldview? You can uh, just you're going in and out. Yeah, you see the problem is. Yeah, if you don't have an ultimate, then you can't ground anything. See, it's like where where's the chair come that I I'm sitting in? Well, uh, it was made by a factory. Where did the factory come from? Oh, people built it. Where the people come from? Well, they evolved, right? Where they evolved from? Oh, the, the universe, uh, you know, evolved them. Where the universe come from? You can go back and back and back. And if there is no ultimate beginning or causation, you can't ground uh, facts in anything. You have an infinite regression of things, and it's well, irrational. Is, okay. Why is that the case? Why why, why can't what? Why do we need an ultimate to ground? And how do we uh, formulate, okay. say, uh, arguments for that? Why do we need an ultimate to ground something? Because without it, you can't ground it as being true. You see, this, uh, atheists have this mistake that they make a lot in that they just assume certain values without justifying them or providing a means by which they can say that they are or are not so. And so what they'll do is, is assume certain things. Let me, how about this? If I, how about if I tr- politely, if you don't mind, I'll try and set you up for something here, okay? Get you to see something, okay? Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, I have to ask you a couple of questions here to get you set up, okay? I'm not hating you. I'm just trying to show you that your atheism is a problem. So let's just say, would you agree that statements are either true or false? Like the statement, I'm talking to you, it's true or false, Okay. The sky is yeah. blue. It's true or false. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a state. Uh, I'm going to give a statement. Please tell me if it's true or if it's not true, if it's true or if it's false. Okay? Here's the statement. Okay. It is always wrong for anyone to torture babies to death merely for their personal pleasure. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Because if you. 
Okay, you say it's true. Then what you're doing is you're saying there's a universal moral absolute that's applicable to everyone, everywhere, all the time. It's always wrong for anyone to do such and such. So you're saying there's a universal moral absolute, right? How do you have... Um, are, you, uni- are you saying... Yeah. You're saying that you say the statement's true. Moral, are you deriving that moral absolute from the Bible? No, hold on. I'm sure we're talking about atheism right now. So you see, the thing is, in an atheistic worldview, where there is no universal mind, there is no there are no universals like that because everything's material. How then do you say that such a statement is always wrong for anyone uh, to? It's always morally wrong for anyone to torture babies to death merely for personal pleasure. How do you justify the statement as having universal truth value from your atheist perspective? See. That's I don't expect you to answer it because you can't. You can ramble around. Atheists try. Well, I mean, I could give you an a- I could give you an answer, but it may not be sufficient for what you're looking for. But you can you can I try. I don't think it's also um, I don't think it's logistical to then say we can ground our morals in something like the Bible when there's like passages, for example, like Psalms one thirty seven nine that says, "Happy is he who dashes the infants to the rocks below." Okay. I don't see how that can be. Um, a, a standard of morality that we can well, let me ask apply you. to ourselves. That you're using an example. You beli- of let me ask you. Let me ask you some questions. Do you believe abortion's okay? Uh, yeah. It's, 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 okay, then why are you complaining about uh, killing uh, the, the the idea of killing little ones when you have no problem with doing it in the womb? They're just doing it outside. So why the hypocrisy on your part? Well, yeah. it's not so much as this, like. A hypocrisy in my it's a hypo- no, that's one thing. Yes, it is. Because you, can, you hold on. I'll explain how. You said child. you said that it was a, it's wrong. You you were implying it's wrong. You went to Psalm one thirty seven nine. I'm familiar with the verse, and so you said it's wrong. But then you say abortion's okay. Well, wait a minute. Both is killing little ones. So yet you have a hypocritical view because it's inconsistent. Furthermore, you don't know the context well, you know, of Psalm one thirty seven nine. It's what's right. called it's what's called an imprecatory psalm. It doesn't say that this is what God is wanting. It's saying that the psalmist in his anger against the enemies that he wishes this upon them. And there's a lot of things recorded in the Bible that are not necessarily the right thing to do. You should you should know that. Furthermore, if you say it's wrong if you say it's wrong there's a lot of like hold on, hold on. If you say it's wrong, where's your universal moral standard by which you can say it's wrong? Now, if you say it's your opinion that it's wrong... I don't don't agree that there needs to be a universal standard. I think that when it comes to right and wrong, a lot of the time that... We've got a break. Hey, hold on, Jax. We've got a break. Sorry. We have a break. So hold on. I have a break. Okay. It's a mandatory break. So we'll be right back after these messages, folks. 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, and welcome back to the show. Hope you're enjoying it. Jackson, are you still there? I am. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can. All right, so what I was doing was showing you your inconsistency, your hypocrisy, and your inability to provide a universal moral standard. This is why your atheism doesn't work. It's one of the reasons doesn't work 
Well, I don't think it, there's a universal moral standard to be derived from the Bible either, because it's so easy for you to then brush, because it's so easy for you to brush off certain immoral passages like the one I presented and say that. Wait a minute. Oh, it means this. Wait a minute. If you don't have, Jackson, if you don't have a universal moral standard, you can't say something in in the Bible's right or wrong. All you have is you don't like it. That's all you have. Like and it. I think that's kind of similar to like the case you presented about abortion when there's passages in the Bible that say a priest can abort a baby. So for you to say something no, it's, abortion not, no, as it an doesn't. example. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You got that wrong. You got that wrong, Jackson. You don't understand this word. So look, if you don't know what's right and wrong, you can't say the Bible's right or wrong. You have to be able to demonstrate think, that there's a standard of righteousness. What is there? I don't know what's right or wrong. I don't no, think it's don't. fair for you to claim I don't know what's right or wrong because I don't. Okay. Is it right or is it wrong to destroy the babies in the womb of the mother? I think I think that's a very uh, nuanced, complex argument when it comes to abortion. Oh, and one that so I'm not equipped to. Be you mean? Oh, oh. So finish, let me ask you. Let's do logic. Finish, is what's in the is what's in the womb? I need to answer one thing at a time. Oh, you you're just you're not able to. You're not able to answer. Well, I, I am. I just, one. like I said earlier, I don't think you're going to like the answers that I give you, but it doesn't devalue them. Or it doesn't also mean that I can't know what is right or wrong just because I simply How can't do you know? found it in some absolute... How do you know what's well, right or wrong? I can, I can test it based on our societal reaction or how we as humans like that's called, treated. That's called the argumentative populum. It's a fallacy of logic that the majority believes something's true or moral, and therefore it is. Or that, that's a, it's a fallacy of logic. You have a better yeah, way of going. But truth is also provisional. Truth is also provisional. Truth is provisional. So I, what if I don't because agree that you're quick, truth? Quick, let me say this real quick, Matt. Let, let me explain. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I put you on hold. If you say truth is provisional, then what is provisional on circumstances? If circumstances change, then is something become right or wrong? The Nazis in in Germany or what? Look, dude, you have nothing to stand on. I'm trying to ask you to to justify your moral standard. They're both. You're using Jackson, the same criteria Jackson, the Bible. Jackson, do you have a moral standard from your atheistic worldview that's universally true? Do you have one? I think I have a human standard, not an atheistic okay. So you don't standard. have one. Well, I don't, don't have, I, when it comes to my morals, okay. I don't ground them in atheism or something like that. Yes, you do. Human yes, you do. I guess a human experience. Or, yeah, humanism is um, is also atheistic. So you have a humanistic philosophy, man-centered, which means it's subjective based on you. So wouldn't it be kind of arrogant for you to say that your personal opinion about morality is what is right and wrong? Well, I mean, I wasn't really... I think you're kind of putting me, pigeonholing me into a... Mm-hmm. Um, position that I never actually articulated as being my position. Well, do you think that you know what's right and wrong? Do you? I think I, I can um, come to acknowledge what's right or wrong here and there, yes. Okay. And what standard do you have by which you judge right and wrong? Can you what's hear that standard? again? What standard do you have that you judge right and wrong by? Um, it would be a societal standard. Society. Typically, that's what we all abide by. So, was Nazi Germany killing the we Jews? That was their society. Was were they good or bad? 
uh, the majority of people that were from Cuba. I just, I'm asking, was it good or bad? And I Are wouldn't agree with it. I wouldn't agree with it. Oh, you don't agree with it. It doesn't mean if it's good or bad. You just don't agree with it. Is it good or bad? Um, again, I am not in the position okay. Jackson, to be making Jackson. absolute claims about Jackson, good and bad, but a, I can come to understand. There's anchors tied to your ankles. You're out in the ocean and trying to throw you a life preserver by showing you the problem you're in, and you just continue to reject truth and just uh, you just desire to be drugged down into the abyss of ignorance, logical uh, impossibilities. Like you don't have any like have universal standard. You don't have any universal moral standard by which you can judge anything. But neither do you, because the, yes, I do. the Muslim can claim the same thing, and you can deny their hold, Quran. Hold on. Hey, moral Jackson. Jackson, you have to right? be able to focus on you one thing at a time. Other Jackson, Jackson. And so... Uh, we do have a universal standard. It comes from the mind of God Himself. So He's the universal. Right, and that's what the Muslim would No, the Muslim can have his day in court. Okay, never mind. He just keeps uh, interrupting. He's not dialoguing. He's just interrupting constantly. He's not a good thinker, and um, he needs to be able to look at the issues and examine. Let's just move on. All right, let's get to Luke from Washington. Hey, Luke, welcome down here. Hi, um, uh, Mark. Can you hear yeah. me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, this is uh, Luke from DC. Biblicist. Mm -hmm. Another verse for you today. Okay. Uh, Hebrew eleven six. Hebrew eleven yes. six. Explain to me, please. And without okay. faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrew eleven six. Yes. What about Can it? Can you what, explain to me? This what's the issue? Uh, there's several things we could talk about, but let me just kind of look, give a generic thing. And since I know who you are and what you're coming from, and you're talking about the in the Indian things and the Calvinism and Arminianism and all the stuff that's behind it, I'll go with that. Without faith, it's impossible to please uh, him. Okay, please God, because we have to have faith, the faith that God grants. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Of course, you have to have faith and believe that God exists in order to come to him. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Absolutely. And if we seek him, then he'll reward us. No problem. No, no problem there. So the, uh, you're saying that the faith is granted by God, and then we seek mm -hmm. him. That's what you're saying then. And then another verse, uh, 2 Timothy, uh, sorry, 1 well, Timothy 2.4. Let, let, let me go on, let me go on. 1 Timothy 2.4. Hold on, hold on. Hebrews 11.6, the Arminians, what they're going to assume is that this verse, is, in particular, is meant for everybody universally. Is it? That's the question we have to ask. Particularly since the writer is addressing the Hebrews, who were already believers. They were already yes. believers in the true and living God. And he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not saying that unbelievers are able to do it. It's not talking about that. This is why they mess up so much, because they don't read context. Okay, 2 Timothy 
No soldier in active service yep. entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has listed him as a soldier. That's right. Paul's talking to the believers, and he's talking about Timothy in the pastoral epistles and what Timothy's to do and to know and to teach. And that we are, as Christians, we are to focus on, on uh, serving God and not serve two masters and things like that and, you know, in all areas. Okay? That's all. No big deal. Same thing like a Second Timothy two twenty six, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after yeah, being captured says, by him. Yeah, but it says before that is that God may grant them repentance. So the they forget that the granting is something that God does. So um, he is the one who he hits in the active voice. He does the granting where he gives it, uh, the repentance to them. So they need to do that. They need to understand everything. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the, with them and their ar- arguments. The Arminians, uh, the Arminians who work against Reformed theology publicly and go after it. Uh, I don't care if you're Arminian or Calvinist. I don't care. But those who do that uh, very often don't examine the scriptures uh, completely and sufficiently, and very often just import into the text certain assumptions that they haven't validated as being true. So yeah. It's like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one more. John twelve thirty two. And I. Yeah. Draw all men I to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The all yeah. men is uh, all men is not every individual. Uh, all men deals with all people groups. And notice, if people want to say it's literal, let's just work with this. I'll say to the Armenian, I'll say, is it literal? Yes. All men means all men. Okay. That's women are excluded, right? Well, no, no. Women are included. I said, no, no. You said literal. Is it literally to be understood? It says all men. And the Greek word, you know, is all. And the word men isn't there, but it's actually uh, in the masculine form in the Greek. So it's all in the masculine ones. Okay, not neuter, which could be anybody. So why are you uh, having a problem being so consistent with how you understand it? Furthermore, in Matthew fifteen twenty four, Jesus was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't sent to the whole world. A lot of people don't know that. They think that Jesus was sent to everybody. He was not. He was only sent to Israel. Israel rejected the Messiah, and we the Gentiles were then grafted in. Hence, he'll draw on them. Okay? That's all that's going on. Hold on, we got a break, okay? Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Wow, it's already a quarter tell. Last segment of the hour, which reminds me, by the way, folks, uh, no live show on Monday because it's Memorial Day, so we'll be taking that day off. It'll be a four-day week next week. Okay, Uh, Luke, you still there? Hello? Maybe we lost him. Maybe if I hit the right button. Yeah, no, no. No, no, I'm I'm still I'm still here, mm-hmm. Matt. So the world, yeah. all you know, these are the words, the Calvinistic favorite verses. I, I didn't understand you. Could you ask that again? No, no, no. You know, the Armenians always says that uh, the world means not all. The, the Armenian view of all means all, every tribe, every, yeah, uh, yeah, every nation, not. 
Yes, I understand that. Uh, they'll say all means all, and uh, great. I'll say then, what does all mean? And when they say all means all, good means good, blue means blue, round means round, they're not saying anything. Uh, this is unfortunate because when someone uses the word as the definition, it you're not clarifying anything at all. Words mean what they mean in context. And I've done the study on the word pantas, and that's the word all in Greek. I've looked at every single occurrence in the entire New Testament, and I've written on it. And there's at least, uh, I think if I remember correctly, at least five different senses of how the word all can be used. And I'll show this to people. And they, you know, let's see, word studies, let's see, all. And see if I've got a quick... Uh, database charts yeah here we go and so the different you know I found it means every individual in some instances not every individual in other instances it could be things it could be totality it could be expression not people and not things you know for example when uh, Herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him does that mean every individual was troubled with with Herod well of course not um, or how about uh, in Mark 2.13, and he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him. Well, who's all people? All people means every individual on the planet? No. See, you, you just right away, when you start looking, and you start putting things in context, you find out, well, all means what it means in context. And this is a principle that a lot of the Arminians, uh, you know, I mean it lovingly, I mean, you know, it, that they don't really consider often very often they have a, an idea and they just say something and then they don't they don't study they don't study and it's, it's ridiculous you know okay yeah, uh, Matt, today i was listening uh greg glory you know greg glory and the radio man uh, he's a uh, preacher in the radio mm -hmm. oh, uh, in yeah. washington dc 105.1 greg glory yeah yeah i know who he about is, greg you know. he's talking about uh, he's talking about the romans nine if you can uh, he's uh, teaching his church about mm -hmm. Romans 9. Yeah, he's okay. completely changing. There is no predestination. There is a free will. He was saying there is no predestination. That is Calvinistic idea. This is yeah. uh, against the Bible. You know, even today's message was completely against the Calvinist. Some people like Greg Laurie, yeah. Chuck Smith, yeah. he always, he has a movie yeah. uh, called, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, yeah, it was Jesus a good movie Revolution. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, baptized by... I was, yeah, I know. I was baptized by Chuck Smith. My wife and I were actually baptized by Chuck Smith for himself personally. So, you know, I, and I like going to Calvary Chapel, but I'll just say that Greg Laurie doesn't know his theology very well in this regard. And, uh, you know, I mean it politely and lovingly. I'm not putting the man down. He's a good man of God, and he's being used by the Lord to preach that gospel. And, uh, and I'm glad for that. But when it comes to issues of Reformed theology and the critics that often get out there, I often find that they don't really have a, a very deep understanding of what they're criticizing. And I mean this, uh, you know, with respect. Uh, okay, so Greg Laurie, I have a lot of respect for the man. He's being used by God. It's un unfortunate when he would go to Romans 9 and say predestination is, is not there. It, it is. It, it is there. And um, election is there as well. And so I can show them both in the text. But anyway, you know, it's, yeah, okay. He, it's okay. Well, it's all right. So He's a brother in the Lord. Opinions like Greg Laurie, Nathan uh, <laughs> Flowers, those people are against attacking Calvinism. Yeah, I, I know. Say. I know. I, I know. But, you know, look, this is important. Calvinism is not the gospel. I know a lot of Calvinists say it is. 
Calvinism is just simply a an arrangement of theological understanding based upon scriptural revelation that elevates God to the extreme, to where God belongs. And people often react in neg- uh, negative ways to that. And they insert ideas into the texts, like John 3.16. You know, God's loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, whoever would believe in him. Well, God's loved the world. That means every individual. Well, how do they know that's what it means? People assume so many things. You know, and it says, whosoever will believe. It doesn't say that in the Greek. It says, all the believing one. And there's all kinds of stuff like this. And when I show people, Christians of all sorts, these things... A lot of them are shocked. And the the issue here is that too many pastors and elders, unfortunately, I mean, they're they're Christians, okay? But, I mean, they're just reciting what they've been taught for years. And they don't have a comprehensive biblical soteriological system, in in my view. Now, I'm not saying that in a derogatory sense to, to, uh, like, Greg Laurie or anybody like that, okay? But uh, I just don't believe they have a very comprehensive understanding of God's election, predestination, justification, imputation, things like that. I think it's rather limited. And that's okay, because they need to do other things in their ministries. Like, preach that gospel. Okay? Okay, thank you. All right, brother. God bless. Okay, let's get to Alberto. Hey, Alberto from Georgia. How you doing, buddy? Right. Uh, I ask a question. What does it mean when a pastor tells a member... Uh, he needs to experience the love of God. What does he mean by that? Exactly. Uh, depending on the context, it might mean different things. It might be an unbeliever he's talking to who needs to experience the loving forgiveness of God. He might be talking to a believer who needs to also experience the loving forgiveness of God. Because sometimes believers will hold on to sin that they need to let go. And they hold on to guilt that they need to let go. And they need to experience the love of God in that way. So it can mean different things in different contexts, okay? But what about if a pastor tells that to a member, yeah, you you, uh, you found something, and pastor was doing something really wrong, worse, you know what I mean, what he considered us doing bad, but you found out something... Okay, hold, really hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Alberto, you have a habit, you know, and, and I love you, brother, but but you have a habit of answer, asking these these complicated questions about people's feelings and comparing them to something else, another feeling situation, and then saying, what about that? And these are not very, uh, let me just say, not very easy to answer, let's just, just say that way. Okay? Mm-hmm. you got to be more specific in your question. Well, like example, if he, if he tells a church member, and he's a, he's just been spread the love of God, right? Because that person is like, you could use that because the person, church member is like, like it's a church member, okay. But what about yeah. what about the, the pastor himself is is sin, dude? Dude, you I know, can't talk about the pastor himself. You, wait, l- listen. You're saying what about the pastor himself? He's in terrible sin. Look, you have to uh, learn how to distinguish between specific issues and generic uh, ideas. You kind of mix them when you're talking. So you're talking about a specific pastor is what you're talking about. A pastor's in sin. So now what you're doing is you are thinking and almost publicly going against any particular pastor, and you're bringing an accusation, and this is something to be careful. Because if people know your voice and they know who you're talking about, then you need to address this. You need to go to the elders first, the pastor second. You need to get other counsel. There's a, a methodology of doing the things that are right. And, I, and I'm going to urge you. Yeah, but what about... What, what, mm-hmm. 
But what if I do do it and then I, and and, they, and I know for a fact they would not they, they were not going to listen to me anyway because they're going to they're going to deny it. Well, so, here's the thing. You know here's I mean? the thing, Alberto. I've you've called so many times. I'm not complaining about that, but I've gotten uh, to know you to the point where uh, if you're going to say something like that, I, I have to filter what the facts are out of what it is you're saying because you put things together in such difficult ways that uh, I don't know if what you're doing is representing somebody accurately. And I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong on purpose. I'm just saying you've got to be really careful here, okay? And I would urge you to be more specific. You seem to have problems with people's motives, and then you raise those motives up, say that they're sinning, and that nobody wants to listen to you. And since what you've said so commonly is that people don't want to listen to you, maybe you might want to consider something. You told me once that you've talked to different people and they said the same thing. So that that tells me that maybe the issue might be aligned with you. So yeah, but they're going to say, oh, I'll be gossiping. That's, they're going to accuse me of, oh, you're gossiping. You know, you okay. can't. If that's oh, the case, so you might. Yeah. Well, we're going to move along, okay, Alberto? So I hope you have a All great right. weekend. All right. Okay, All right. Let's go. All right. Let's go. All right. Thank you. All right, man. Okay. God bless. All right. Let's get to Pearl. Pearl hasn't called for a while. Pearl, welcome. You're on the air. Thank you, sir. Um, when Moses was in the mount with the Lord God Almighty for 40 days and 40 nights, mm-hmm. and then he asked God, could he see his face? Yeah. And God said, no, man shall see my face and live. Right. Could I be wrong in assuming I'm speaking spiritually now that when God really shows us himself spiritually I believe we have to die the flesh has wait, to wait, die wait, wait, I don't wait, think wait, it can live okay okay um people have seen God uh, in, in different levels in the Old Testament now you're talking about Exodus 33:11 no man can see yeah. my face, for no man can see me and live. And then it says in Exodus 33.20 that God spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. Right. So face-to-face is dealing with the personal aspect of encounter. Now, the Father dwells in unapproachable light who no man has seen or can see, First Timothy 6.16. So um, to be in the presence of God in the pure sense, I, I would agree with you. I would think that such a person would be vaporized. It would seem. I don't know. But I just don't know, so I, I don't want to. Well, how do you, sir, statements. put this together with uh, Matthew five eight, which is the pure in heart shall see God? Yeah, that's uh, that's just wisdom, uh, generic wisdom stuff. They'll see God. They're not going to actually see God the Father uh, because that's a more doctrinal aspect that you're not going to see God the Father. So it says God here. Who's he speaking about? Well, the God of Israel. Well, they can see. Jesus, uh, for one thing, who's God in flesh, you'll be able to see him, and they'll be able to dwell with him, and maybe even in the presence of God in a, in a better way, and maybe even see the glory of God as Stephen did. So uh, that's how I would respond to that. Okay. I believe Jonathan Edwards said that he thought that we would see God because we would be in the Spirit when we get there, get to heaven. It's a possibility, but from what I understand of First Timothy six sixteen, no man can see God. Excuse me, God dwells. The speak of the Father dwells in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see. That seems to be the the specifics of the Father, and so 
if if this talking only about the uh, pre-resurrection condition, then I'd want to see a verse that says that. But I don't know of any verse that says that, so I'm going to stick with it, that that's going to continue in the afterlife as well. Okay? All right. Would you please tell me what, what you think it means when it says the pure in hearts shall see God? There's possibilities. Uh, they'll see God in their understanding, in his character, in his heart. They'll, they'll understand him in a deeper way. They can see God that way. That's, there's several possibilities like that, but we're out of time. Sorry about that, okay? I know. Go. Thank you, sir. All right, Pearl. God bless. And Aaron from Florida, want to know how to get back to God? Call back Tuesday, because Monday we're off. Call back Tuesday. Let's talk about it, okay? But read your Bible and pray. God bless everybody. Another program powered by the Truth Network. <laughs>